0: Boom, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host Alan Sakiyan. Very excited to be talking about heart and brain diseases and how we can, in advance, understand the pathologies happening to our body, live longer and healthier. We have Dr. Karunya Kandimala joining us on the show. Hello. Hello. Thank you for coming on. Really it's appreciate a pleasure, it.: Alan. Yes, such Thanks a pleasure. You Thank you to Kishore for introducing us, your cousin. Yes, mm-hmm. and you also have your daughter right. visiting as well mm-hmm. into the Bay Area and it's nice, she's visiting Berkeley. Right. Yes, yes, and your background is very cool. You've been an associate professor in the Department of Pharmaceutics at the University of Minnesota for the last seven years, also a research collaborator at Mayo Clinic. You were previously also visiting scientist and an adjunct professor in the Department of Neurology at Mayo Clinic. Right. and. You've been now focusing on macromolecular pharmacokinetics related to Alzheimer's disease and metabolic syndrome and developing nanotech for diagnosis and treatment of cerebrovascular disease. So this is very important for us to understand. This affects one out of every six of us by the age of 65, one out of every two of us by the age of 80. Mm -hmm. So this is a big deal for us to be able to have you were teaching me earlier about the preventative mm-hmm. steps that we can take in order to prevent the, ons- the onset of neurodegenerative diseases. Right. So, Karunya, let's start off on a on a on a big history perspective. You know, we find ourselves as stewards of Earth. We have eight billion of us now. There's exponential technology happening. We have so much great science that can help us. What's your current take on this state of humanity?
1: know. I have a very optimistic perspective. I think uh, uh, humanity is progressing um, and and, uh, actually uh, moving the frontiers in science um, as well as in technology. Uh, Previously, people only used to live up to 50 to 60 years of age, but now we are expected to live Person. about 80 um, uh, so that's a that's a real possibility uh with those advances also come challenges yeah. so uh because uh alzheimer's is one of the diseases of aging so uh if a person is about 70 there is a 15 percent chance but above 80 there is almost a 50 percent chance of uh, uh getting alzheimer's so you know th- those challenges could be also consequences of the progress we have been making. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the science is evolving at a rate uh, and, and uh, to a level where humanity is, is probably getting ready to face these challenges and solve them eventually.
0: Yes, yes, and the relationship between the heart and the brain too, what affects the heart as something that is bad is very much so associated with affecting the brain as something is bad and that's something that you found with type 2 diabetes mm-hmm. and that we'll continue you know talking about through this conversation um, these are the two of those central organs to our you know existence and our right. health mm-hmm. so Karunia um, you're right the, the, the scientific frontier is pushing us in the direction of being able to solve these tough challenges we're very excited for that what has been your journey to get to the point of your fascination and your interest with solving these challenges?
1: I think it's the fascination to deal with the unknown. Um, So I have a natural tendency to uh, gravitating towards uh, what is unknown and what's more challenging. So as a consequence, I get myself in trouble uh, every now and then. And uh, I still remember one of my professors, uh, when I was uh, uh, doing my doctoral study at the University of of Iowa, he commented, you know, looking at my project, which is to investigate how drugs permeate from nose to brain. Mm -hmm. So like, say, for example, um, drugs of abuse and uh, and therapeutic uh, molecules also could permeate Uh, once they're in the nasal cavity into brain. Mm -hmm. So the pathways that they take to reach the brain are poorly understood. So my PhD thesis was uh, investigating what those pathways are and how body can protect itself uh, from being bombarded by these um, molecules. You know, if it's drug, then it's beneficial, but it could be toxin too. For example, manganese, aluminum—all those metals could get into brain uh, through inhalation. Um, viruses could get into brain via the nasal pathway. So we were—my uh, thesis was to investigate that. And the professor was used to ask me, like, "So how long do you want to stay here? You know, it's, uh, is it a ten-year project or is it a five-year project?" So it was risky, but that's what was the driving force. Uh, likewise, when I moved to uh, uh, being a faculty member, uh, again, I, uh, lo- I started looking into the pathophysiology of Alzheimer's. Uh, instead of uh, treading the known or well-investigated path, I started uh, a different direction, which I felt is probably uh, what might be the earliest risk to neurodegeneration, which is, uh, insults to the vasculature, to the blood vessels, if uh, in the brain blood vessels you know the brain is is heavily perfused, which means uh, there is almost a small blood vessel for every neuron in the brain, because neurons need nourishment and they generate a lot of uh, byproducts that should be cleared from the brain. And vasculature, the blood vessels can do that very well. One so,
0: blood vessel for every neuron. Every
1: every neuron. That's how dense yeah. the blood vessels are in the brain, uh, because brain needs a lot of energy, which is supplied in the form of glucose. So uh, to that that supply is is uh, consistently maintained by the blood vessels.
0: The blood vessels are bringing the glucose into brain. Into the brain. Right. Yes, and then the so we have almost a hundred billion plus of these little uh, micro blood vessels, mm-hmm. microvasculature mm-hmm. that brings the glucose up that powers right. the brain, and it brings oxygen
1: up right. to o- oxygen, which is very critical. So uh, unless the blood vessels are functioning uh, very well, it's it's hard for the brain to, to get that nourishment. And also, a lot of byproducts are generated, a lot of metabolites. If they start accumulating in the brain, it's very hard to maintain the uh, what we call homeostasis, mm-hmm. which is the balance mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. the brain. So uh, blood vessels, again, remove all those break, uh, uh, breakdown products into the bloodstream so that they could be eliminated. So this should be, uh, uh, this should be functioning very, very effectively for proper... Uh, brain physiology.
0: Yes, yes. So then, uh, simultaneously, as the uh, as our bl- blood is bringing up the glucose and oxygen, it's bringing uh, down the the buildups. The
1: buildups. Yeah.
0: Okay. Of and the this, toxic products. The toxic. And this is f- uh, fat, cholesterol, uh, and then uh, amyloid protein right. buildup.
1: Right. Right. Am- amyloid protein is also regarded as one of those uh, byproducts of brain metabolism. So we don't know what the f- function is, but we do know that uh, it is there in every, every brain. Amyloid protein is there in every brain. But in Alzheimer's brain, it is overproduced because uh, the blood vessels uh, or the brain itself is not able to clear them. So they start accumulating and cause problems. One of the problems they could cause is, the, is killing the neurons.
0: Yes, yes. Okay, so
1: <clears throat> for...
0: For you, how did it come up for you, the moment for, for I want to be focused on this, specifically?
1: Yeah, uh, again, while I was uh, doing my doctoral uh, work, uh, one of the reasons we were investigating, you know, the purpose of investigating nose-to-brain delivery of molecules yes. is to look at um, uh, resolving the issues associated with Alzheimer's. Because in Alzheimer's disease, the, one of the first brain areas that are affected uh, is, uh, is the olfactory system. It's the
0: olfactory system. Interesting for our nose. Right. Yeah, right. For, for us being able to process what we smell. Or able to smell, basically. Yeah.
1: So an Alzheimer's patient- Why?
0: Do you, we know why?
1: We, we don't know why, but uh, we could see some connections and sort of guest associations at this point. So, uh, olfactory system is the only part of the central nervous system that's exposed to the environment. Th-
0: this right. is the only, what about taste? Is not, it not, because that's not?
1: It is not directly the part of the central nervous system. Taste so, is not. Yeah, you, you have the neurons, yeah. of course, su- supplying uh, uh, you know, the, the nerves that are supplied to uh, the tongue for the taste perception, yes. but it is uh, not a direct ex- directly exposed part of the central nervous system. No, we have oh, nerves being supplied to Correct, yeah. all over the yeah, body, yeah. but in the olfactory system, the olfactory neurons are actually exposed to the environment,
0: and that's right up here, right up, right These up olfactory the roof, roof of the nose, yeah. roof of the nose, yeah. And then, okay, interesting. Okay, so, the, so, so you can actually trace the area, the olfactory processing part of the brain mm-hmm. all the way to, you can trace the...
1: The roof of the nasal cavity.
0: To the roof of the nasal cavity. Uh,
1: where, where the olfactory epithelium is, is located.
0: Interesting. Yeah, these, these senses that, that we have to process our environments right. are very, very interesting. And right. So limitations and how we're building new senses is very right. interesting. Yeah, right. yeah. Okay. okay, now now, take us to the you know you're your teaching. Your, you actually started you know hinting at what um, this this what what is uh, uh, if if the if the blood vessels themselves have issues with bringing up. The, the glucose and bringing up the oxygen, um, that that process can start deteriorating. And actually you were teaching me earlier, and this is an important point to teach, that it's 90, no, it's 100%. There's a 100% failure rate in clinical trials for Alzheimer's disease. And that's because we're not, we're not doing it early right. enough. Right. yeah
1: So um, most of the therapies that went into phase three clinical trials uh, you know, I'm talking about the novel treatments of Alzheimer's. There are conventional treatments to actually uh, th- those who we, we call cholesterase inhibitors that are uh, available on the market, but it's, they deal with uh, sort of uh, temporary effects caused by Alzheimer's disease, but uh, they don't address the root cause. But uh, one of the attempts that were made to address the root cause is to is to uh, therapeutically remove the toxic amyloid proteins that accumulate in alzheimer 's brain so and that removal is done by antibodies against the amyloid beta proteins, so many of those antibodies went into clinical trials but faced uh, but uh, failed in phase three clinical trials. The
0: antibodies are trying to go and remove the Amyloid protein buildup, right? And the you were doing it too late in the process.
1: You know that is the uh, that is sort of the reasoning uh, that uh, scientists are coming up uh, with the to explain the failure of those clinical trials. But uh, there could be several aspects associated with it. Uh, one is amyloid accumulation could be a consequence of some pathological damage that really caused problems. Yes. So it could be a bystander, but genetic data clearly shows that amyloid is a critical part of the Alzheimer's pathology. So it's a, you know, there could be a sort of a shift in the role of amyloid proteins very early on in the disease, and then compared to that in later portions. So unless we know and understand what that shift is, it's very hard to uh, time when the therapy should be administered.
0: Yes, yes. And let's pull up our images that help us explain what we're talking about. Okay. Yes. So this, these are the stats we were mentioning earlier, affecting one in every six people above 70 years and one out of every two people above 80 years now. Interesting. First patient diagnosed by Dr. Alois Alzheimer. Alzheimer 100 years ago, so 1920-ish. Right. Interesting. And do, do you know the story of, of how um, Alois Alzheimer, how did... How did is this a he? Is this a she? She, she? Yeah,
1: she, she used to complain. Uh, he, she. She. Uh, is the
0: is the professor or is the doctor?
1: No, doctor is Alzheimer.
0: Oh, but the, the, is the doctor a he or Auguste is a she?
1: Mm, doctor is he. Auguste is she. Is she okay?
0: Yeah. And yeah, and how? Yeah, how did she and he? How did how did Lois understand Auguste's issue? How did he? open her to understand
1: that. Yeah, no. So he uh, provided the first clinical documentation of uh, the cognitive loss in Alzheimer's patient. Uh, So she used to complain, confusion, memory loss, uh, all the classical Uh uh, changes that we are seeing now in Alzheimer's patients. Uh, Then uh, Dr. Alzheimer uh, went beyond just the clinical investigation. He, in fact, looked at the uh, autopsied brain of uh, Auguste Deter. Oh,
0: interesting, yes. And
1: then he noticed those plaques in the brain 100 years ago. Wow. And later on, uh, since uh, for the past 30 years, scientists all over the world have been investigating what those plaques are made of, uh, and then how are they causing, how are they associated with the Alzheimer's pathophysiology. So uh, we have identified now that... Uh, uh, those plaques are made of amyloid beta proteins and those A-beta proteins, they, uh, are, uh, they aggregate very rapidly and uh, those aggregates, the small aggregates, could act, uh, could be very toxic compared to amyloid beta protein uh, that's, that's, uh, that hasn't ag- aggregated, that, sta- that uh, remains as a monomer, what we call just one molecule. So that it's not that toxic, but when it starts aggregating, those aggregates can be very, very toxic, and uh, they can, uh, several scientists have even compared them to be prions, again, that have tendency to aggregate, and those prions cause mad cow disease.
0: Interesting. So, so this is an, an a hundred years ago. We're talking, you know, to- autopsy is what started our scientific understanding of the memory loss Auto and disease. these issues. This mm-hmm. is very important because these are those. This is how you get to an edge of science: is that mm-hmm. you have to take initiative and mm-hmm. and do things like do an autopsy and find these these a- amyloid uh, protein buildups. And this is the 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 plaque. Is specifically the last thirty years? You're saying we're understa- we're diving into understanding the plaque that's building up, mm-hmm. um, and causing the plaque causes the neurons to die. Because, and what's the relationship with the tangles as well?
1: Yeah, it might not be the plaque that's problematic. It might be those oligomers before plaque formation that are distributed all over the brain that could be causing the problem. Plaque according to many scientists, could be a protective mechanism. So the uh, body is actually encapsulating those proteins into a plaque, and, uh, which is then not that toxic. Cause so the, uh, plaque formation could be a protective mechanism. Similar to like uh, formation of atherosclerotic plaque in the blood vessels. That could be a protective mechanism, but when, it's, when it grows bigger, it blocks the blood vessels and ca- cause problems. Yes, yes. So it's um, you know, as in the and these uh, cardiovascular diseases, instead of um, actually uh, removing the plaque, we tend to address issues that promote the generation of the plaque. But in case of Alzheimer's, we might be doing it in a different way. We are de- we are trying to deal with the plaque formation and trying to Clear or break that plaque down, rather than addressing the issues that have caused the problem. Yes. yes. That have caused the plaques. Yes. Correct. So, according to you know our investigations, uh, the cerebrovascular damage could be one of the contributing factors to that eventual buildup of plaques in the brain.
0: Yes. The the healthier these. Uh, Billions of microvasculature that's carrying the glucose and oxygen mm-hmm. up. The healthier that that is, mm-hmm. the less of the plaque buildup that even occurs in the first mm-hmm. place. So, mm-hmm. so this is again, this is this is coming to you know preventative medicine, the mm-hmm. the healthcare that you're you're worrying. And how do we then uh, keep the the billions of microvasculature healthy? To what's our what's our strategy? For yeah, that?
1: we we have known this for all along, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's. Uh, uh, right exercise and uh, right amount of exercise and food. Yeah. So. Uh, and sleep. What, huge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah sleep. Act, yeah. you know, there there, has, there was a study published in uh, Science that demonstrated uh, sleeplessness can promote amyloid buildup in the brain. Yeah. yeah. So again, suggesting that those are all the, the healthy lifestyle is the key to. Uh, to to uh, protect um, pr- pr- protect the person from these neurodegenerative diseases. Yes, yes,
0: yes. Ronnie, let's go to that next image, too. Okay, and this is kind of you know as we're talking the you you mentioned earlier this the fact that you know we typically don't think of one little microvasculature with blood vessel for every single neuron in the mm-hmm. brain. That's very interesting. Point so that's called this blood-brain barrier, is mm-hmm. And that's 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 right. You know that's really starts right about at the at where the the initial part of the the mm-hmm. brain starts.
1: So uh, usually all the blood vessels that's uh, that are supplying blood to the brain, they have uh, endothelial membrane. What does that
0: mean? It, it's, it's
1: endo- endothelium is the uh, cell lining of the blood vessels.
0: Okay, interesting. So,
1: so uh, all the blood vessels are lined by endothelial cells. Okay. They're a single layer of endothelial cells. Difference between the brain blood vessels and the blood vessels in the periphery, in other parts of the body, uh-huh. is that uh, the endothelial cells in the brain blood vessels are all sealed together.
0: Interesting. So
1: there are, there are no gaps. No they gaps. They prevent. Uh, the movement of any molecules non-specifically to get into brain. They prevent the movement of bacteria, movement of viruses, any uh, uh, extraneous substances, unwanted substances from getting into brain. Because brain cells, they don't have ability like the peripheral cells to protect themselves. Mm -hmm. Neurons are highly specialized. Mm. They do what they uh, you know they 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 do uh, they they functions very very yeah. systematically and with high fidelity. Yes. So they don't have the same capacity to handle the uh, abuses like uh, uh, the peripheral cells. Interesting. So they need protection. They need a certain environment to function effectively. All that is maintained by other cells, other supporting cells, and endothelium endothelial cell is one of the most critical supporting cells.
0: Fascinating. Endothelial cells are what, uh, they're lined very tightly Mm -hmm. in the blood as it's going up to the brain. They're very tightly. And that prevents the bacteria and other uh, things that the body cells can fight against. Mm -hmm. The brain neuron cells can't fight Mm -hmm. against because they're... Super focused on activity in mm-hmm. the that the, the brain has to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is very interesting. So then, in the body, the end again the endothelial. And so
1: there are gaps. There are gaps, so in the that body. Uh, nutrients could uh, uh, go in and out. Likewise, the metabolites, the toxic substances could get out quite easily. But in the brain, we don't have those gaps. As a consequence, uh, brain needs specialized systems to send material and to send signals in and out of the brain
0: and then this called blood brain barrier is then because you can't send a like a molecule through mm-hmm. the blood mm-hmm. up into the brain
1: unless brain one uh, needs it
0: interesting so, so it won't take molecules unless it's unless the body already considers it like an endogenously made right. substance that then so you can kind of trick Right. The blood, the, the brain, to, to, to taking it.
1: Right. Say, say for example, glucose uh, in a body is uh, 3%, the uh, brain is 3% of body's weight, but then it consumes 15% of glucose. So... I've
0: heard that numbers is as high as 25. Is that... Could it be... It
1: to, could be, depending on the uh, the condition. Okay. But at a, at a normal physiological level, on an average, it's about 15%. Okay. So, for all that glucose to get into brain effectively, the blood-brain barrier has glucose transporters functioning, again, with high fidelity. You know, there there cannot be any damage uh, to those glucose transporters, otherwise the brain could uh, suffer from lack of nutrition.
0: And this is where insulin is a big key. Uh,
1: I would like to, again, make a distinction there. Those glucose transporters, they don't listen to anyone they don't even listen to glucose they're independent of glucose so the glucose transporters in the periphery in the body they respond to uh, insulin they need insulin yes. to act for them to uh, you know actually insulin signals them to uh, to take up glucose yes, yes. those themselves. glucose transporters are insulin dependent like in the muscle for example it is insulin dependent uptake of glucose, but in the brain, it occurs independent of insulin because- Interesting. Uh, you know, insulin goes up and down in the body. Yeah, in, yeah. In the, you know, uh, uh, depending on the time of the day, depending on- uh, food. The consumption of food, insulin levels keep going up and down. If the glucose transporters at the blood brain barrier is listening to insulin, then there will be a huge shift in the amount of insulin oh, getting sure, sure. into the brain, depending on the condition sure, in the sure. periphery. So
0: it's a very steady for right. the brain. It is very steady. But the body is much different. Right. It responds. Right. Interesting.
1: Right. So this functioning uh, is, is actually regulated by uh, blood-brain barrier, which is the endothelium. Then uh, there are other cells in the blood vessels uh, called pericytes. So pericytes are like uh, supporting cells to the endothelium. And then we have, that's, that's part of the vasculature. We have the endothelium and then the pericytes in the blood vessels. On the brain side, we have astrocytes and neurons. So all those four cells, they function together. So we call that a neurovascular unit. So neurovascular unit communicates and then it, it actually coordinates all the regulatory functions that are uh, happening uh, between the periphery and the brain. Yeah,
0: yeah. So
1: any damage done to the neurovascular unit could be problematic and we believe that it could be the earliest damage done to the brain in Alzheimer's brain.
0: The, the, for those four cells to be miscommunicated. Right. Miscommunicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. interesting. And then the uh, CBF mm-hmm. means
1: so. Um, blood flow? So, w- what, uh, what, uh, what is depicted in this uh, figure is uh, the response or the connection between endothelium, the blood brain barrier, and the neuronal response. So, we call this neurovascular coupling. Okay. So, these are so. Interlinked, that uh, here when the new, neuro neural response is triggered, you know it could be triggered by many uh, activities. Like even opening eyes could trigger neuronal response in the visual cortex. Mm-hmm. So yes. once that neuronal response is triggered, then uh, it, neurons present in that brain region needs nourishment, oxygen, and then they generate byproducts. They should be removed. Very, very quickly.
0: Interesting.
1: To uh, accomplish that function, the blood vessels are dilated yeah. in that region. Interesting. And then they supply more blood carrying the nutrients yes. and also to bring the metabolites out. So that response is the is what we call neurovascular response. Yeah. And that's measured by change in the cerebral blood flow. When you have neural res- neuronal response, very quickly you could see changes in the cerebral blood flow. So this is the main uh, signal that's captured on functional MRI to actually relate to which part of the brain is functional. Yes, yes, yes. uh, uh, Under certain stimulations, right? So uh, this should be done very, very predictably. But uh, in diseases like Alzheimer's disease, that neurovascular coupling is disrupted.
0: Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. So then let me see if I can do this. So then the, the neurovascular coupling, when you're meditating, you close your eyes mm-hmm. and you decrease the amount of blood and glucose that's flowing to your visual cortex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so then the, 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 the visual processing part of your brain, that, that, the, the neurovasculature there, it narrows. Mm-hmm. And, and because it doesn't need the, the, the processing because your eyes are closed.
1: It might not narrow, but, you know, it stays uh, under uh, at, at rest.
0: At rest. In the at fMRI, you can see that there's less blood, blood. that's right. moving to that part right. of the brain. Mm-hmm. OK, and then once you kind of open your eyes again, you can see in the fMRI that mm-hmm. the more blood flows mm-hmm. there for the processing. Mm-hmm. And then the and then the, the and then in a uh, in a in a brain where the 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 the, the when the c- the cell communication isn't working as well, mm-hmm. then it's not as uh, as the the ability for for the for the uh, the bl- the blood to move into that part of the brain is it's miscommunicated. Yeah, okay. it it
1: cannot meet the demands of uh, the the neurons so if it's happening over a period of time then the neurons could die off in that region
0: interesting yeah if the miscommunication happens for long periods Mm -hmm. of time then that causes the neurons to die Mm -hmm. okay okay cool let's 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 move on yeah this is a this is a good way of explaining the normal versus the Mm Alzheimer's brain yeah
1: so so you have uh the material transport and the signaling uh, going on or carried on by the blood-brain barrier between periphery and the brain, so you have all that communications very well laid out in the normal brain, but then in Alzheimer's brain, that communication system is all disrupted. As a consequence, you could see, uh, the you know, like like you see on uh, on uh, on the highway, you could see the buildup. You could see the uh, traffic that's yeah. slowing down. Yeah. And if that traffic, if those cars are amyloid proteins, then they get backed up. And once the amyloid proteins are together, and if the concentration is growing in the brain, they could aggregate. Those aggregates could cause problems in the neurons, and then eventually can lead to the neuronal death.
0: Yeah. Yeah, this, this this analogy is uh, very powerful. For you know, we're talking about diseases of, of heart and brain. This mm-hmm. similarly uh, affects our heart as well as when you see the uh, the, the the build up mm-hmm. uh, versus this free flowing. Mm-hmm. The the traffic analogy is very powerful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a really good one, mm-hmm. and so we want we want to keep our our heart vasculature as well as our brain neurovasculature. We want to keep this moving like very smooth mm-hmm. traffic. And then these things of really powerful sleep, good mm-hmm. nutrition, good exercise. Mm-hmm. These are the things that keep the amyloid buildup down. Right. Yeah.
1: Because, because the physiological response is, is robust. As a consequence, the buildup will not happen in the first place. So once that already, uh, once it started happening, then it's it might be very hard to clear and repair all the mechanisms that are responsible for for yes. the smooth flow, like what you're referring to. Yes, yes. And so, so when you when you go back to the reason why uh, many of the Alzheimer's therap- therapies might be failing, yes, or the yes. therapies that are focused on getting rid of the plaques might be failing could be. Uh, due to the fact that uh, the traffic, uh, the buildup could be corrected, but then what caused that buildup is still not addressed. So as a consequence, uh, the neurons might not recover from the damage that has been done a while ago. And it's again very important to notice that uh, now we have clinical tools to see if the amyloid is building up in the brain. So uh, we could use PET imaging to investigate the amyloid buildup in the brain. And uh, we clearly know now that the buildup starts 20 years before the cognitive changes are evident.
0: Wow, So 20 buildup starts before. 20 years before. Oh so my goodness. what
1: damage is done within that 20 years is not clearly understood.
0: So, so build-up could be starting as early as age 40, even, really? Could, could, could be, could yeah. Could be as young yeah. as that.
1: If, if there is familial Alzheimer's disease, it's much earlier. Like, you know, usually mm-hmm. the subject could suffer from Alzheimer's when he or she is about 50. Yeah. If it's familial, we yeah. caused by mutations in the genes. But most of the uh, disease is, is uh, sporadic, wow. which means that we don't know what the cause is.
0: Wow, this is this is a very, very important for all of those that are, you know, that are listening, that are in their, you know, adolescent years, in their twenties, and even in your thirties. Like really, you know, experience life to the fullest now as best as you can, because mm-hmm. even if we're not even realizing that uh, the cognitive decline is, is slowly occurring, mm-hmm. um, it really it really is building up, uh, even if we're not noticing the. Um, the, the the decline. Right. Yeah.
1: Right. Because there could be um, things happening, um, you know, with, without any notice, and then all of a sudden there could be changes in cognition. By then, it might be already too late.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And we had, do we have one more? Yeah, we had the one more um, image as well, the last one that we can pull up to. And this one's actually supposed to be a video, but we didn't get the video, so you can explain it as an image.
1: So um, what this picture is showing is uh, the movement of vesicles, movement of whatever cell, uh, uh, whatever nourishment cell gets, uh, that is trafficked from one part of the cell to the other part, right? So that that, uh, that is handled by, what we call microtubules. Microtubule. So these are these microtubules, like each streak is like a microtubule. Yeah. <coughs> so microtubule is like a railroad track. Mm-hmm. It directs that movement from the center of the cell to the edge of the cell. Mm-hmm. So we, we can consider this as the center and then moving towards the edge. At the edge, yeah. 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 So in a normal cell that flows very smoothly. Yes, yes. But when the cells are exposed to amyloid beta proteins, then you could see that those railroad tracks.
0: Oh, wow. This is. <coughs> this just crisscross. Yeah, these are way less. The communication, like you were saying, it mm-hmm. looks like the communication's horrible right. here. Like it's just being messed up. And the communication here is like looking like smooth. Mm-hmm. We know what's. What we can almost predict where it's going here. It disa- looks like a disaster. Mm-hmm. And so then this is where you can see that amyloid plaque build up. Oh, you
1: know, these here. are these are actually the blood-brain barrier endothelial cells
0: and these are the endothelial thio- cells right
1: so okay. these are supposed to move proteins not only amyloid beta proteins but right. also a uh, lot of hdl proteins yeah yeah a lot of uh, uh, the uh, iron carrying proteins like transferrin uh insulin
0: interesting they,
1: they should be moved from the bloodstream into brain. Yes. If that's what is going on in the endothelial cell, then they will never reach brain in yeah. the required proportions. Yes, yes. And those are all growth factors. Neurons need them for,
0: uh, for good functioning. Iron, HDL.
1: HDL and I- and even insulin. And even
0: exactly. insulin. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Because insulin is a growth factor. It it yeah. it. Uh, it not only regulates insulin, it also regulates the mitogenic activity, what they call is cell growth, cell uh, division, all those are regulated by insulin. Yes. So that's the reason why when insulin signaling is disrupted, you could see um, uh, the cancer cells growing. Yeah. So uh, yeah. in Alzheimer's, it's the opposite problem. Because there is problem with insulin signaling, the cells start uh, dying.
0: And, and what, other, um, what other techniques are you using uh, along with your students, along with, you know, University of Minnesota and Mayo Clinic? What techniques are being uh, used, especially in the field of nanotechnology, um, to both understand the, um, the pathophysiology, but also to then go uh, and do preventative? Because the nutrition and exercise and sleep is a very common mantra that civilization chants. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, what in a, in like a, in a nanotech perspective, what could you know be done um, to you know at age thirty to you know to forty to to get us to that you know homeostatic capacity of like a t- 15 year old uh, to keep us healthy
1: so nano the reason why we um, uh, started developing nanoparticles for the treatment and diagnosis of uh, uh, alzheimer 's disease and the uh, and to, to look at the buildup of those amyloid proteins in the blood vessels is uh, looking at the uh, at, at the examples from nature for example hdl particles hdl particles are nanoparticles right so yeah, yeah. they uh, they take up uh, they, they actually clear cholesterol from various cells and then they Uh, carry the cholesterol to liver. So, uh, nanoparticles could have the ability to interact with the endothelial surface, the blood-brain barrier, and they might be able to alter some of these processes.
0: Interesting. It could signal a change.
1: Signal a change. Interesting. Uh, That's one thing. And the second uh, aspect is nanoparticles could carry... um, contrast agent for MRI PET to show us where the problem is in that endothelium so that we could detect the trouble early on.
0: Interesting. Yes. Yes. And then if you can detect where the -hmm. problems are at, then you can then go and target those specific areas and fix them. Right. And the signaling this in young uh, ages, Mm -hmm. you said in PET scans and Mm -hmm. okay, interesting. Mm -hmm.
1: So we are developing novel probes. To see if there is any problem with the, f- with the endothelial function, yeah. can we spot that early on so that we might be able to repair the damage? And um, you know, here uh, this is where I would like to bring uh, the association between Alzheimer's disease and type 2 diabetes. Yes, yes.
0: Right.
1: Yes. So uh, th- there is a clear epidemiological evidence that these two diseases are related, uh, but we don't know how they're connected mechanistically. So, we know that uh, in the periphery, in other tissues, uh, type 2 diabetes could cause problems to the endothelium, could cause problems in the endothelial cells. But uh, what it does to the brain blood vessels is poorly understood, right? So, if uh, there is uh, a problem with insulin signaling, you know, type 2 diabetes causes insulin resistance, If there is a problem with insulin signaling in the brain blood vessels, all the functions or most of the functions that uh, we've been talking about could get disrupted because they're connected to insulin signaling. So if we manage to find how they are pathologically connected, the type 2 diabetes and Alzheimer's, one big advantage could be we might be able to repurpose diabetes drugs to treat Alzheimer's at least very early on so that that's one of the uh, motivations uh, behind uh, yeah. our, our our work can we repurpose reuse those drugs yes to treat the neurodegeneration
0: yes 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 because sim- is that, in that is that because then similarly to how uh, a A a drug that is assisting with the, um, with the, um, with 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 issues with the uh, cardiovasculature, with the Mm -hmm. heart disease areas and issues, can then also be used for um, similar processes with the brain. Similar
1: process. So you know, with with the diabetes, the same problems again: HDL lowering, LDL increase, uh, insulin resistance, all those. are very, very, they cause uh, problems to the vasculature. So, uh, using the same um, tools and uh, similar understanding, we might be able to uh, look at neurodegeneration in a with a different in a different perspective. Yes, yes. Because instead of just focusing on what goes on in the brain, uh, it might be important for us to look at the aspects that could directly interfere with the brain function and you know nowadays the national institutes of health uh, is uh, has been investing resources into investigating the cerebrovascular contributions to alzheimer's disease but still the field is in its infancy and more work needs to be done in that direction
0: yes more funding for the national institute of health and for the national institute of nutrition we're Mm -hmm. aiming to to set up Shout out to Dr. Jun Yoon and, and that process because the it's very interesting that you bring up this the connection between um, the heart and brain disease and how if we understand their connection better we can tackle them together better. This is mm-hmm. very important, um, Karunya. This has been such an interesting conversation um, together, and I'm really grateful that we ended up sitting down with you on the show while it's you're a in the pleasure, Bay Area. Alan, yeah. yeah, thank you so much. And we have a couple questions that we like asking. At the end of our episode, um, one of the questions that we like asking is if you think we are alone in the cosmos.
1: <laughs> of course, we are, we are not. And we have known that. But assuming that there are people like ourselves is pro- probably far-fetched. But I don't think we are alone in the cosmos. There, there might be Living beings elsewhere in the galaxies, uh, but what they are, how they are, is probably Mm -hmm. um, a frontier that has been untouched so far. Yes,
0: yes, yes. And then the second question we like to ask is if you think we are in a simulation.
1: Absolutely. You know, uh, we we are in we are we. I believe that we are in a simulation, but then, is someone else doing it, or are we doing it to ourselves? Mm-hmm. You know, it, in the sense, are we forced to act in a very particular way? Are we um, have we programmed ourselves to do certain things, whether we like it or not? Do we have real independence over our thinking? so all those really uh you know makes me believe that we could be in a simulation but that could be Mm. Mm self-inflicted it might not be someone else really playing with us Mm -hmm. or might be who knows Mm -hmm. right you know i'm i'm open to uh, you know after looking at uh, this many unknowns i'm so open to considering ideas that are I'm not aware of currently. Yes, yes, yes. So, but you know, whichever way, it will be fascinating to know.
0: Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. Oh, high level of open-mindedness and poking with science at Mm -hmm. the truth. Yes, yes. And then the last question we like to ask is, what do you think is the most beautiful thing in the world?
1: Human mind, I believe, is the most beautiful thing I might be biased, but the mere thought of try the motivation to know actually is what convinces me that it's the most beautiful thing, and that's one of the reasons why I focus on alzheimer's research because at the end of life, a person, you know, what is he accumulating he or she, not wealth, not, um, you know, uh, fame, name, all those things are very ephemeral. But for that person, what really matters are the memories, or the feelings, or the connections. But in this disease, it's such a devastating disease that all those are lost. And to me, that's the real loss. So that's the reason, that's, that's, that's what motivates me to really find out if we could do something about it.
0: It's crazy how well these devices keep the memory, almost 100% efficiency. But our brain doesn't keep with that e- efficiency. And on our deathbed, we're typically only remembering just very sparse life mm-hmm. events. But if we can be able to remember all of these experiences, feelings and memories that we had and be able to store it for children to be able to access in the future and understand, this is a very interesting...
2: Well, what what about, yeah, what, what, what about the memories that we don't want to remember? You know, you have to... You know, yeah. we this brain has a, a self-protection mechanism. There's a lot you can't do about the trauma you experienced. Yeah, but, just, you know,
1: y- you know, uh, we don't want to remember because it's causing pain, but whatever causes pain might not be, not everything is bad. For example, there are a lot of painful memories that humanity has gone through.
0: Yeah.
1: If we forget them, then we keep repeating. Them. We keep getting into yeah, those that's right. painful things. So memory, whether it's good or bad, to a person or to a community, to society, is a valuable resource, and that's all we have.
2: It becomes a learning. That could bring up the murder rate, though. You know, if we remember these dark experiences and we continuously remember them, and then, you know, oh, I've been through this shit before, and nothing happens, nothing gets done. And then our self-protective mechanism goes into effect again and we uh, use violent measures to make sure that these memories don't happen again.
0: We, we have had several um, guests like you know Coco Mackenzie and other people that have said that on the other side of the traumas are sometimes the greatest treasures and it's very important to actually integrate the learning experiences into the, into the code of ourselves and the civilization in, in total yeah
1: yeah even at good. the microcosm um you know w- nowadays i believe that uh, you know because we we mentor graduate students and uh, that's our legacy and those are our you know graduate students will carry uh through their learning the collective memory of our experience and of of our um of our work so Nowadays, I feel that they should be more trained to handle bad memories, failures, because if they're handled well, there could be success lurking underneath.
0: Yes, yes. Yep, and this is a whole nother conversation on 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 how to best be able to integrate. these traumas you know maps and um, other um, psychedelic studies we've been experimenting with there's been lots of interesting ways to to integrate and um, did we get any questions I see on YouTube we yes
2: uh, Charlie Sportello watching in uh, Akron Ohio asks if there's any connection between aluminum foil and Alzheimer's disease
1: yeah excellent question Charlie I think um, Uh, About 15, uh, 20 years ago, uh, it was believed that magnesium, aluminum, all those metals getting into brain could cause Alzheimer's, and there have been several studies looking at the role of metals in how amyloid proteins aggregate. Uh, In fact, amyloid beta aggregates in the presence of metals, but aluminum per se uh, has been ruled out as... uh, as the prime cause, but metals do play a role, particularly copper and zinc. Uh, but then, uh, a metal chelator that can get rid of the metals from the brain also failed in the clinical trials. So that might not be the only reason, but we cannot totally rule out the role of metals in uh, neurodegeneration. But aluminum foil uh, is is probably. Uh, you know is very safe because it's the aluminum that gets into that's inhaled or that somehow yeah. can bypass the blood brain barrier and gets into brain is uh, could be problematic and but that has also been ruled out as a major cause
0: interesting um was that the
2: uh, that, was, that was it thank great. you
0: charlie thank you charlie yeah it's nice uh, everyone for uh, tuning in that um if we, we do have questions uh feel, feel free to ask the questions in the in the youtube and facebook chats and we'll ask our guests the questions live on sh- on set Karunya, thank you so much for coming on to the show this has been such thank a you. pleasure yeah, yeah. Thank thanks you for having for, me thank you for teaching us about heart and brain disease and about alzheimer's disease and about how we can really start tackling this at a greater level we really want to thank everyone for tuning in thank you so much let us know your thoughts in the comments below on what we were discussing go and share more with your communities your families your friends on the internet get more people talking about this and really pushing the frontier of science in these domains let's do it together everyone inspire young people to get more involved huge shout out to ron vargas our producer and director thank you very much we love you very much ron and no cut no cut no thumbs up from yeah, you there I, love,
2: I love you too there's the cut and
0: thumbs up we love you very much thank you and also support the artists and entrepreneurs that you believe in support them in your communities help them grow help them stay afloat simulations links are below we need your help as well join us and help us grow and scale and go and build the future everyone manifest your dreams into the world achieve that divine success that you set yourself on we love you very much thank you and we will see you soon peace